Do you feel overlooked and invisible because you're an older woman? Have you had those age jump days when you look in the mirror and swear that you're looking at your mother? Do you feel the clock ticking and wonder whether you have enough time to check off all the items on your bucket list? Hello, I'm Jane Leader, and I'm the host of Older Women and Friends, a podcast about and for older women that kicks stereotypes to the curb. We older women are the keepers of stories, and guests on Older Women and Friends share their stories about love, loss, dreams, friendships. But let's not kid ourselves. Aging can be a messy, complex affair. But older women have been around the block a few times and learned a thing or two. And this podcast celebrates their lessons. So put in your earbuds and join me on Older Women and Friends. I don't have the pleasure of meeting most of the guests on Older Women and Friends in person because they don't live very close by. And my next guest is no exception, even though I feel as if we've met before. Sky Bergman is an accomplished, award-winning photographer, a professor, and a documentary filmmaker. And back in 2019, I wrote a blog post about the importance of movement as we age, the old adage, move it or lose it. And as I was researching for the post, I landed on an article about Sky's first documentary, Lives Well Lived. This is a film that celebrates the wit and wisdom and experiences of adults aged 75 to 100, and it was like bingo. It was as if Sky had reserved the best seat in the house just for me. Movement, whether yoga or dance or working out at a gym, was a part of many of these older adults' routines. I wrote that post five years ago and had forgotten all about it until Sky reminded me in our pre-interview emails. I was impressed and anxious to hear what she's been up to since. I am delighted to welcome Sky Bergman to Older Women and Friends. Oh, thank you, Jane. Thanks so much for having me. And what a great introduction that was. <laughs> Can you tell us a bit about your childhood, where you grew up, and a little bit about your family? Yeah, sure. Well, I was um, born in Philadelphia and lived there for many years and then moved to Florida and was lucky enough actually to live with my grandparents my and my even my great grandmother was alive so i lived in a four generation household which was pretty amazing and had a wonderful childhood i i like to say that i grew up in my grandmother's kitchen and right by her side and she just was an amazing woman who was really such a role model for me throughout my life and i just was lucky enough that she lived long enough for me to be old enough to really appreciate her in a much more full way than I did when I was younger. I always appreciated her when I was a kid, but as an adult and after having raised kids and then being a an empty nester and then having to be able to spend time with her, it just was a very different relationship as an old as an adult than it was when we were kids. And what is it or what was it about her? Because if I'm correct, she did pass away not that long ago. She passed away. She was 103 and a half. So she lived long enough to see the Lives Will Live film that you mentioned play on the big screen, which was great. She got her 15 minutes of fame. <laughs> and 
She was in the audience when we did our little preview of the film, and that was great. Yeah, but she has since passed away. So what was it about her that was so important to you, so influential? Well, I think she was a really good female role model. I think that I started working on the Wives Will Live film as I was approaching 50 and looking for positive role models of aging and just not finding them in the media. Everything that was about 10 years ago and everything at that point was all about what we could do to avoid aging. Any movies that you saw were all the really negative aspects of aging. And here in my own family, my grandmother, who was approaching 100, was still working out at the gym, something that she didn't start doing until she was 80. And she always used that phrase, move it or lose it. So I, that's why I re absolutely remembered the article that you wrote, because there was such a connection to my grandmother in, in that article. And so I really was lucky enough to have her as a po positive role model of what my life could be as I aged. And I, that was really the inspiration for starting the Lives Will Live film was looking at her life, all that she'd done, all that she kept, continued to do, the inspiration that she was for so many people and knowing that there were other people out there like her and wanting to find those people so that I could model my life and my older years around people that were doing well, who were aging well, who were embracing aging and looking forward to it rather than dreading it. And I spent the next four years interviewing 40 people with a collective life experience of 3,000 years. And what a journey that she set me on. It, it sounds absolutely fabulous. I was going to ask how you rounded up these 40 plus people. That must have been a Herculean task. It wasn't really that hard. I, they're out there. There's so many people that are role models. And what I did in the beginning was that I sent an email blast out to my friends family and all the alum that I have taught over the years that I've been at the university. And I had a little video clip of my grandmother working out at the gym. And I said, hey, if you have somebody like her in your life, then please nominate them for this project. I had no idea I was going to do a film at that point. And I was inundated with heartwarming nominations. So I think if you open up that box, you're, it's amazing how many people bubble up. And it, the hardest part was really trying to find people that were diverse and had different stories. And so when I did realize that I wanted to make a film about people that were 75 plus, I really started looking at how can I tell a number of different stories and how can I tell? Because it was not just about their words of wisdom, but it was also about their stories of resilience and the things that they went through and to really shine a light on all of those different experiences. And so, for example, I really wanted to make sure I had somebody that was Japanese-American as part of the film and somebody that was African-American and somebody that was Latino. And I really wanted to have a, a diverse group of voices that I could share. So at that point, I started really looking specifically for people that could fill some of those as well. I want to backtrack just a minute. This has been a perfect segue, but I am curious to know when you started focusing huh, interesting word, on seeing what was around you. I'm talking specifically about becoming a photographer and then eventually moving into film. Yeah, well, that goes back a number of years. I, My dad always had a camera in his hand, always took photos of us, and he actually had a dark room when I was growing up. Not that I really used it much, but I did remember that. And I, when I went to school, I actually was a business major undergrad and I took a photo class for fun my last semester and I fell in love with the darkroom and just fell in love with that, the beauty of creating images. And 
not only did I know that I loved photography, but I also knew that I wanted to be a teacher. And I went to my professor at the time, who I'm still friends with to this day, and I said, hey, Lou, how do I get a job like yours? And he really took me under his wing and helped me put a portfolio together. And I got into grad school and then started teaching. And that was really the start of it was I think that one of the mottos that I live by, and I'm looking up at my desk because I have a little post-it note up there, which is that your decision should be based on your curiosity over fear. And I really decided that, oh my God, if I was in my 20s and I was going to settle and do finance, which I really didn't enjoy, but I was good at, <laughs> versus follow the thing that I knew I was passionate about and loved, I didn't want to settle at age 20. And so I just went for it full bore. And really followed my passion and have ever since. All the projects that I work on, I never know where they're going to lead, but I just follow my heart and follow those threads and somehow it leads me in the right direction. Well, speaking of following threads, you made the jump, although I see the connection between or from still photography to filmmaking and being in a family that where we have done the same. I understand it, but... I'm curious to know what propelled you. Was it the story of your grandmother that you felt you needed to have on film where we could not only see but hear or what propelled you? Well, there was definitely a very particular moment in time because I had been a still photographer for years and taught taught photography for over 30 years at universities and worked with in magazines and all that kind of stuff in New York. But when my grandmother came out to visit me for the very first time in California and she lived in Florida, she was 96, and she was an amazing cook who never wrote a recipe down. And I realized at that moment that I had this opportunity because she was going to be out for a month that I could record her cooking. And it was just the two of us, and, and my mom was there in the background, but really just my grandmother. And I would just record her, and I called it, I did a little series called Cucina Nana, which means Grandma's Kitchen in Italian. And uh, that was really my first foray into filmmaking, because up until that point, I'd just been a still photographer. But exactly what you said about wanting to have the sound of her voice, the gesture of her hands, and just having that, rec wanting to record that, I think, was what propelled me into filmmaking. And that was it. I just, I, we have a motto at the university that I teach at Cal Poly, and it's learn by doing. And I certainly lived that motto throughout this whole transition from being a still photographer to a filmmaker. And I still live it to this day of everything that I do, I'm learning by doing. And I have a real strong belief in that. I always say, instead of saying why, I say, why not? And really just follow those like, okay, I, I need to do this and I'll figure out how to do it. And I'm also not afraid to ask other people questions of how do you make something happen? If I don't know how to do something, I'll ask around until I get the right answer that I need. And I think that a lot of people are t at times are afraid to admit that they don't know how to do something. I am not afraid to admit I don't know what I'm doing. And if somebody can help, please speak up. <laughs> <laughs> Same. Yeah. So you were talking or we were talking about positive role models mm -hmm. of aging and because this is older women and friends, although I certainly do not um, neglect the men, but they are not my immediate focus. And your grandmother, I just have to tell people, you must see the film. She's the most lovable, happy, positive person. She just, she sparkles. She lights up the screen. It's just such a fun way to spend an evening or at least part of your evening watching that film. Oh. So, and there's no way that Sky can 
describe her. You have to see her in motion, which is how what was one of the reasons for doing a film. What were or who were one or two of your other favorites? And we won't tell anybody and they won't be listening. <laughs> or I shouldn't say I shouldn't say favorites. Two other really interesting stars of your film. And I call them stars because they are stars. Yeah, well, I will say keeping it to the woman's side of the the film and those people that were in the film, really one standout who is a dear friend of mine now was Evie Justison, who in the film talked about a couple of things. One is she talked about turning 50 and really changing careers because she didn't want to be a boring, dull person in a rut. And that certainly has resonated with me of not being afraid to change careers and do something new at any age. And the other thing that she said was that she talked about Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning being a very important book that she read. And what she got out of it was that many times there are things that are happening around us that we can't change. But the one thing that we can change is our attitude about how we deal with things. And that certainly has helped me get through some tough times is to hear her in my head saying that. And so I think she was really instrumental for me in the film. And then I think the other person who really affected me was C.L. Bergman, who's not related to me. We have the same last name, but we're not related. She was one of the few people that I knew before I did the film because she was my mentor when I was in college. And she's an amazing painter and environmental activist. And I think that her passion for that and for doing what she believed in was just so impressive. And then the other thing that she said in the film that really has stuck with me is that she said, you can't change another person, not one iota. And I think about that in relationships, and it really uh, also resonated with me and has changed the way that I approach relationships. And I'm in a great relationship now, but I know and have been for the last 11 years, but I know that CL's words of wisdom certainly have helped me in that relationship. And I just sometimes remind myself, you cannot change another person, not one iota. Uh, I've never really thought that, right? Before we talk about what's going on with you now, which is also fascinating, there was one question I think that you asked every person in the film. Am I remembering that correctly? I had a list of 20 questions that oh. I asked everyone in the film. Just to keep it, I want, I really wanted there to be some consistency. And then, of course, we went off on tangents. But it was those 20 questions I came up with by having lunch with some of the, my colleagues who teach in the psychology of aging class and the social sciences. And they helped me formulate some of those questions that I asked everyone. Just as a starting point, that didn't mean that, like I said, we couldn't go off on other tangents. I think that's really important to allow for flexibility, but it was really great to have that starting point. And I think there was one of the questions, and I might be misremembering, is basically what is the one trait or the one thing that has impacted your successful aging the most? I think I remember someone saying a sense of humor for example. Yes, I think it really is pretty remarkable because it's different for all different people. And it wasn't necessarily about physical strength. A lot of times it was about having a sense of humor. I think the really the three things that that people had in common for aging well, because we all want to know what's a secret, right? 
first was they all had a good support system and that didn't necessarily have to be family. It could be friends, but they were not alone. They knew that they had other people they could count on. And I think secondly is that they all had a sense of purpose in life. And I think that's so important no matter what age you are. And also knowing that sense of purpose can certainly change over time. And I think that's where a lot of people get hung up when they retire because their sense of purpose, they lose that. And so where does that how do they get a new sense of purpose in their life? Because they're so tied in with their job or their profession. And if you talk to someone, you ask them, one of the first questions is, what do you do, right? <laughs> and so what do you do when you retire? How do you describe yourself? And I think that having that sense of purpose is really vitally important. And then lastly is really, uh, it was all about attitude. And uh, the people in the film, even though they went through some horrific times, some really tumultuous times in their lives, they were all able to see life as a glass is half full rather than half empty. And I think that positive attitude, no matter what you're going through, is really important because attitude is everything. And that just, it, it makes such a difference. And so those were really the three things I think that the people in the film had in common. And where can people see Lives Well Live today? Well, the film is all over the place. <laughs> it's on, if you have a PBS membership, it's on PBS Passport for free. It's on Amazon, iTunes, Canopy. If you have a library card, you can buy the DVD from PB, the PBS shop. So it's all over. It's pretty, if you just type in Lives Well Lived, you will find it. <laughs> You'll find it. Well, let's talk about your two newest films, or I think that both of them are in process. One, and I'm going to mispronounce the name, but <laughs> It's Mochisuki. Is that how you pronounce you it? You did not mispronounce it. You pronounce it Excellent. correctly. Yes. Because I love mochi. So that part of the word I knew how to. And I think that's really more about an intergenerational connections. Can you explain why? Yeah. Well, so I, as I mentioned, grew up in my grandmother's kitchen and our best stories and our best connections really came when we were cooking together. So I love this idea of bringing generations together around food. And in fact, I think I'm going to have a whole series based on that called Pass the Fork. And this, <laughs> might, this might be the very first of many. But Mochisuki is about the Japanese tradition of making mochi to bring in the new year. And it's all different age groups that get together. And it's this passing down of this legacy. And it's, but it's more than just about the mochisuki. It's also about the Japanese American experience as told through mochisuki. So what happened during World War II? How were people able to still continue this practice even in this ceremony, even when they were incarcerated during World War II and the internment camps? And so, and shortly after, and why is it something that's still important to carry on today? And I think that's really, in bringing those generations together to continue that tradition, I think is really important. And is that, is there a completed film available or are we looking at a trailer initially? Yeah, if you, it, it, it's not completed yet. I'm hoping to have it on PBS in May of 2024 for Asian Pacific Islander a month. And But right now there is a trailer on our website, which is just mochi-film.com. And you can see a little bit about what the film is going to be. So, And then I know that there is another film in the works. And I don't know if you're going to title it The Primetime Band or going to do something different from that. But it's a fabulous story. I wish I would be able to do something with that. It's a real hoot. And I wonder if you can tell folks what the primetime band is and why you're interested and certainly why I'm interested. <laughs> sure. Well, the primetime band 
is a group down in Santa Barbara, and it is made up of people that are 40 plus. They just lowered the age. It used to be 50 plus. Now it's 40 plus who play music together and they practice every Tuesday. There's about 75 to 80 people that are in the band and then they perform all over Santa Barbara County. And the reason that I love it is most of the people that are in the band are people that played in like junior high or high school, college, and then they put their instruments away. Many of them put their instruments away to do their, in quotes, day job and then come back to music later in life. And as one person said that I interviewed, once a band nerd, always a band nerd. And so they all get together. It's so lovely because there's this sense of camaraderie and it's much more than just about the music. It's also about this coming together of this wonderful love of music. And I think that music is one of those things. I was a band nerd, full disclosure. I played flute, clarinet, and bassoon in high school and junior high. And I think one of the things about playing music in a group like that is that you are one person, but combined, you create this beautiful piece that you would not be able to play by yourself. And so there is something about this wonderful collaborative spirit that um, becomes part of the band. But it's more than that, because it's also about aging and the brain and how music plays a part in that. And I think that's also a very important component of the film and how that has that helps people stay active and engaged, but also that community that really helps support one another. And I think when I said the three things that people had in common in their lives while live film was learning something new every day and having a sense of purpose, which that's what the band does. Having a good support system, that's also what the band does. So I think the, there's two out of the three things there. And most of those people have a really positive attitude. So, And how did you find these this group? Uh, because you're not from Santa Barbara. Well, I originally did go to school in Santa Barbara. So ah. a lot of people down there. But I found it because, oddly enough, my the trailer for Mochisuki was playing as part of a first Thursday event in Santa Barbara. And the conductor of the band, of the primetime band, Paul Morey, used to make mochi when he was a kid. That was part of his family's legacy. And he still makes it. He has got a mochi maker now, but he still makes it every year. And he reached out to me and said, hey, I saw your trailer and I'd love to connect. And so I, being myself, I looked him up and he teaches bassoon at Westmont College. And I thought, oh, my God, there's a serendipity here that I can't pass up. And then he started talking to me about the primetime band. And I thought, oh, I have to film this. This is amazing. And that's again, that's where I follow those threads. So I hear the story. It sounds really interesting. And I follow it. I think that's it's important to to follow those ideas and see where they lead. Sometimes they don't lead to anything, but sometimes they lead to amazing things. And to have the wherewithal to take those risks and to jump in. And I'm assuming more often than not, it tends to be a wonderful experience with lots of lessons learned. Absolutely. And yeah, it sounds fabulous. So the primetime band, because mm -hmm. it's not complete, is there something that people can look at this point or um, are we still waiting? We're still waiting. I'm working on a trailer right now because I'm still filming that that film right now. I'm still in production. And but if they if people want to go to my Sky Bergman Productions dot com page, that's where I will be posting when I have any updates on that film. I have all the films that I've worked on are on there, except for Primetime Band, because we're just really getting started with that. So so my last question is, and maybe it's not a fair one, I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you see that you have a 
focus more on women and aging, or do you see your focus as one of intergenerational relationships? And of course, they can work synergistically together. But just because we're in the midst of a very active anti-ageism movement, and I'm just wondering because I'm trying to find my own place in that movement, and so I'm curious as to where you put yourself. Well, I think that I would say I got a co-generate fellowship last year because I was I'm working with, alongside 15 other people who are working on projects that are bringing generations together. So that is certainly my passion and my love. And even with the primetime band, one of the elements of the primetime band is that they work with the Santa Barbara Symphony and they, as part of this group they formed called the Music Van, where they go into grade schools and bring their instruments and bring them to students because there's very little music education anymore in the elementary schools. So again, it's that cycle of bringing younger and older generations together to create something really beautiful. And I feel like with any ism, and ageism is one of those isms, it's very easy to have that stereotype or that ism if you don't know somebody from the other group. And once you do know somebody from that other group, all of a sudden those isms disappear. And in, in fact, one of my biggest pushes right now with the Lives Will Live film for the past five years, I've been working with educators around the country and PBS Learning Media has something on their website as well to connect generations using the film as a catalyst. And so that is really one of my driving forces. I'm working on a book right now, which I think I briefly mentioned to you in our email correspondence. And one of the chapters is devoted to people that are doing intergenerational work, whether it's an intergenerational symphony or co-generational housing, all really exciting ways of how we can bring generations together so that we stop siloing people by age. Here. This has been fabulous. I'm so delighted that we've had a chance to talk and that you've been able to share some of your wonderful projects with the listenership. And I give you a big thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for asking me. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Older Women and Friends. Speaking of friends, please tell yours about this podcast. And if you'd like to contact me with comments or suggestions, you can email me at olderwomenandfriendspodcast at gmail.com. And while you're at it, please take a few minutes to write a review. It's really easy. Go to Apple Podcasts, type in Older Women and Friends, scroll down the page, and click on Reviews. Until next time.